Please turn in your Bibles to uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll be looking at Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verses 15 to 17 this morning. So, um, and I'm going to read from verse 7 down to verse 17 for the sake of context. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. Brothers, join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, please enlighten our minds. Help us to focus. Help us to understand. Help us to receive uh, with uh, joyful, uh, expectant hearts your living word. And plant it deep in our hearts and minds uh, that it may bear fruit and help us to understand, help us to remember, help us to apply your word to our lives. That we may walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And please move through me as I preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if it started as a game children play. Or if it was just a saying to describe uh, the power of example and modeling. But whatever the case may be, that phrase, monkey see, monkey do, became a part of our cultural vernacular. And it it describes the power of example. Uh, Primarily a negative one as we think about that. And we we usually think about children or or sometimes... uh, you know, someone in the workplace, monkey see, monkey do, and they just follow somebody else. And, and as they follow somebody else, they, they do the exact same thing. And they, they in a sense, almost um, uh, become like them. However, I, I've seen that phrase used in a positive sense. And I've used it in a positive sense um, as well. And in, in job training, 
um, just personally, to find the person who does a job really well and monkey see, monkey do, just follow them and naturally I will do the job well. Um, in the military, I remember a similar phrase um, repeated several times uh, to people. Um, and it was, uh, you got to know what right looks like. Or, or to leaders or subordinate leaders, show them what right looks like. The, the sense that if you could just model for somebody or show them the right way to do something or how they are to act and behave themselves and compel them to follow you, then they'll follow you and they'll do it right. Um, I remember just uh, being in, in school and in a seminary and uh, learning how to, uh, to write at, at that level, at the master's level, and, and just their high standards of um, writing and just thinking to myself, I, I just need a good example, and getting that good example of an A-plus paper and seeing how it's formatted and everything and saying, okay, I need my, to make my paper look like that. <laughs> not, not thinking so much of the content, but nonetheless, the content had to be there as well. But just seeing what right looks like, that example, then I can model myself after that. And this is, in a sense, the heart or the essence of discipleship, to follow someone's example, to follow them, their good example, to learn from them and to emulate them. Uh, this term, as we, as we read uh, about discipleship, and, and Jesus says a, a lot about discipleship, the New Testament writers talk about discipleship, being a disciple, what it means to be a disciple. The, the, the Greek word underlying that term, mathetes, it, it means uh, one who directs his mind to something. A learner, a disciple, a pupil, a student. Uh, this is the, the, the core, the heart, the essence, the gist of discipleship is just being a learner. And following a good example. And in Christianity, our example is Christ. And as Jesus uh, walked about uh, Israel in his earthly ministry, he spoke a lot about discipleship. In Luke 6.40, he said, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. You'll emulate your teacher uh, in your words and your ideas and your thoughts and your actions and sometimes even in your mannerisms. You'll become like your teacher. This is a gist of discipleship, to be like our teacher, and our primary teacher in Christianity is Jesus Christ. We are to strive to be like him in every way we can until that day in which we are fully conformed into his image. And this is the singular purpose and goal of Paul's life, which he explains here in uh, Verses uh, 17, all the, or verse 7, all the way down to 17. Um, he explained it to, expressed it to the Philippians in, in verse, verses 12 to 14 that we looked at uh, last week. This is what Paul counts all things as lost for, to uh, be conformed to the image of Christ, to be Christ-like. It's what he has suffered the loss of all things for and counts them as rubbish. This is what Paul lives for. This is what he presses on towards. 
And after he explains that singular purpose and goal in his life to the Philippians in verses 7 to 14, he then shifts his focus back onto them in verses 15 to 17, and he calls them to adopt the same thinking, the same lifestyle, and to follow him. And as he does that in these few verses, which we are going to look at this morning, Apostle Paul, he answers three main questions concerning the nature of Christian discipleship and Christian living. Uh, three main questions um, that we could, as we answer those, we could uh, follow and become better disciples. The first question being this, how should a disciple think? If we're all disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, how should we think as disciples? He says that, or he alludes to that, as he calls the Philippians to follow him in verse 15. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. Uh, referring back to what he had just explained to him, how he thinks. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. Here in verse 15, he answers the question, how should a disciple think? Dr. Will Varner, in his commentary, he writes this, that Paul's shift to the plural either indicates identity with his opponents for the sake of irony or an honest statement of his own status as mature. Paul has, however, denied that he had reached the status of perfect or mature in, in verse 12, most probably, probably with a touch of irony. He is describing the group whose error he is addressing as perfect or initiated. Then he exhorts the Philippians to share the humble perspective to which he has previously given expression. And what Dr. Will Varner is getting at is that Paul has, um, in the beginning of chapter 3, he, he speaks about rejoicing in the Lord, about putting no confidence in the flesh. And then he rebukes the Judaizers, those who were calling uh, New Testament believers and uh, in, in, Primarily those uh, Gentile, uh, non-Jewish background believers back to Old Testament Judaism, to the law. That, that in addition to uh, being justified by faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, um, in order to be a Christian, you also had to be circumcised. You also had to, do, to follow um, uh, Old Testament customs, Jewish customs and laws, uh, uh, dietary restrictions, um, all sorts of things. Um, in addition to, uh, to believing in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, uh, that's rubbish. I I've been there, I've done that, I've, uh, I've followed that way of thinking, that legalistic, works righteousness-based thinking, it's all rubbish. Uh, righteousness is found in Christ and Christ alone. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. That we are so sinful that we need to be recreated in Christ and then we be further conformed into his image. And that's the goal of Christianity. That's, that's, that's how we are to live. And we are to press on towards further uh, conformity to his image, further degrees of holiness and sanctification um, and we will not ever arrive as being made perfect, but he uses this phrase perfect, or in some translations it would say mature, or um, could also be translated complete. 
that we are complete in Christ. We are perfected in Christ. Though it, as we are, for those of us who are in Christ, we, we know that we still struggle with sin, that we are not perfect yet, but we are perfected in Christ and we will be made perfect in him. And so we fix our eyes on him and we think in that way that we strive to be like him and one day we will be and we will be perfected in uh, his image. And so we are to think that way. And so in answering this question, how should a disciple think? He, He has three Really, three answers. Uh, First, a disciple should think in a mature way. In a mature way. In a complete way. Thinking on Christ. Not as unbelievers think or as the world would have us think uh, according to human religion. That every uh, human religion uh, has a a list of rules. uh, Do this, don't do that. And and by doing that you can in a sense uh, work your way up to God. uh, Gain salvation. Gain heaven. uh, Gain uh, a higher degree of spirituality. And even in Christianity, that's not entirely uh, false. But in terms of salvation, it's completely false. That only by Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ are we uh, saved. And, and only through him that we can be made new. It's by grace and grace alone. Yet we can easily be led astray into legalism or even perfectionism. As the world would have us think, as human religion would have us think. We are to um, remember that we are made perfect only in and through Jesus Christ. And so we are to think in that way, think in a mature way. Uh, Not as immature believers though, not content with little growth or, or, or as children in the faith. But thinking more deeply on Christ and his likeness and who he is and what he did and and what he calls us to do to, in a sense, die to self as he uh, died for us. The author to the Hebrews, he he writes a similar thing, uh, rebuking uh, the the Jewish background believers, those, those Jews um, who are tempted to go back to Old Testament Judaism, to uh, follow the law, to... Uh, to, uh, in a sense, work out their own righteousness. And the writer to the Hebrews, he says this in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. He says this, he says, Concerning him we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. And and what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at in in that whole letter is uh, similar to what Paul is calling the Philippians to here in these verses and, and in Philippians. But it's not just Philippians either. It's, it's also, we see it in the, his letter to the Galatians and in Colossians and, and in many parts of the New Testament. That in that day and age, one of the, the great heresies, and, and it's still alive and well today, or the um, kind of 
ditches that we can fall into is legalism or works righteousness uh, of, of gaining your way to heaven or adding to Christ's work. And the writer to Hebrews says, everything is found in Christ and he's, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the prophets, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than everything. In him and him alone is our righteousness. And we are to think on him, we are to dwell on him, we are to fix our eyes upon him, we are to learn more and more about him so that as we dwell upon him and as we worship him and as we follow him, we are further conformed into his image. We dwell upon him as our example. Paul, he writes a similar thing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14 as he's um, trying to correct the Corinthians uh, uh, just unruly chaotic worship in their service uh, uh, almost the whole letter to the corinthians the first and the second one almost the whole of those letters are corrective and in first corinthians 14 paul is correcting their worship and their wrong use of the spiritual gifts the miraculous gifts in first corinthians 14 20 he says this he says brothers do not be children in your thinking Rather, in evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be mature. Think maturely. Think uh, 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 greater in, in terms of your worship, that, that it isn't about the, the giftings that you've been giving or about promoting yourself. It's about promoting Christ. It's about looking to Christ. It's about worshiping Him, and we uh, order our worship services around that, that He is to be glorified. I mean, think in a mature way also with the mind of Christ, that we dwell upon him. And he's, Paul says this once again to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, that speaking about um, just the new birth and understanding uh, the, the depths of the Spirit of God and just the way God has worked in salvation and sanctification in the world, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, A natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually examined, but he who is spiritual examines all things. Yet he himself is examined by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will direct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ through the Spirit, but we are also to continue to cultivate our thinking, to renew our minds in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God, to, as we dwell upon Christ and seek to conform our lives to Him. So a disciple should think first in a mature way, and second, a disciple is to think in a discerning way. And as Paul goes on, he says, Less, Therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. That Christ is our all in all. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. If, if our thoughts are different or, or um, are a little bit off concerning uh, sanctification, concerning holiness, concerning Christian living, then uh, Paul says God will reveal that also to you through the Spirit. But nonetheless, we are to be discerning. We are to be discerning in our thinking, knowing that there are, in a sense, uh, different ways to think about things. That, that um, you know, sometimes in, in life and in, especially in relationships, we assume other people think just like we do. 
<laughs> especially in, in uh, close, intimate relationships. We assume that our spouses uh, have the same way of thinking as we do, or, or they will um, uh, you know, logically solve problems the way, same way we do. But no, we think differently according to our personalities, according to our education, according to our family upbringing, according to our culture, and, and even according to our spiritual giftings. But nonetheless, we are to grow in our thinking as we renew our minds and think according to uh, Christ and according to Scripture in step with the Spirit. And as we do that, we will discern those uh, subtle ways in which we are thinking wrongly. And, and this is a, a not exactly on um, the same topic, topic but it's... it's um, along the same thinking and discernment, but Paul confronts the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 about their discernment and their wisdom. And he says to them, uh, as he's correcting one thing after another in that church, he comes to uh, 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 another issue that they are, are, are suing one another. And he says to them in 1 Corinthians 6, does any one of you, when he has a case against another, dare to be tried before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not worthy to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint those who are of no account in the church as judges? I say this to your shame. Is it really this way? There is not one wise man among you who will be able to pass judgment between his brothers? On the contrary, brother is tried with brother, and that before unbelievers. And what Paul is doing there, he's rebuking them, obviously, for suing one another, but he's rebuking them for their lack of discernment and wisdom. Saying, you're... You're all believers, or at least professing believers. You, you profess and you claim to be uh, born of the Spirit, uh, regenerated, uh, saved, uh, renewed, having the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, which should give you wisdom and understanding concerning the ways of the world, concerning salvation, concerning ultimate issues, um, concerning the meaning of life. And don't you have enough discernment and wisdom to, to judge smaller matters amongst you? He's rebuking them for their lack of discernment and wisdom um, in their relationships with one another. But nonetheless, that, 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 same, um, that same concept could be applied here with Christian living, with uh, sanctification, with uh, discipleship, that, that we should be discerning. We should have discernment. If we have the Spirit of God within us and we are seeking to renew our minds and, and have the mind of Christ, there should be a certain level of discernment in the church that is, um, though not perfect, greater than the rest of the world. And oftentimes the sad case is, is that there are uh, unbelievers in the world who exhibit more discernment than believers concerning the way the wor world works concerning uh, things like uh, uh, human interactions, culture, society, um, you know, and we can see that sometimes, and it's sad. 
Well, we are supposed to have discernment. We are supposed to think in a discerning way. We are supposed to view the world as it really is from a fully formed biblical worldview so that when we see things happening in the world, we can, in a sense, uh, judge rightly. And even in our own lives and, and amongst one another, we should be able to judge rightly because we are to think in a discerning way. Understanding that um, we naturally think differently, but our minds are to be conformed to the mind of Christ. Also understanding uh, as we think in a discerning way and seek to renew our mind, we are to also understand uh, from our fully formed biblical worldview that there are a myriad of ideologies in the world that we live in a sense a, a world of lies. That Satan is the father of lies. Um, he's behind every government, so to speak. Every false religion, so to speak. And uh, through the worldly media and all these ideologies, this information, uh, things that come at us in the news and the media and culture are, in a sense, corrupted with uh, deception. It might not be an all-out lie, but it may be just a partial untruth, which is the most deceptive lie. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to understand the, the whole world as it is through renewing our minds in Scripture. Also gets at uh, discerning uh, what's really happening in the world in terms of ultimate realities that, that we live on a spiritual battlefield, that the, the, the nature of spiritual warfare. And sometimes, uh, you know, uh, we can look at spiritual warfare in the wrong way because just the language of warfare, and so we naturally think more along the lines of a physical, earthly uh, war. Um, Paul uses that language. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 10 he, he speaks about spiritual warfare a little bit, and he says this in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3 to 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for, tearing down, for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is fulfilled. The nature of spiritual warfare is worship and knowledge and ideologies it's uh god's truth versus satan's lies and the objective is who will get the worship will god get the worship and the praise or will satan and his demons and mankind and creatures and so with that is all the, this web of lies throughout our world and in all the false religions and, and subtle um, false ideologies. And even Paul hints at uh, our warfare is not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for tearing down of strongholds. Those strongholds, those systems of thought and philosophy and ideologies which keep men in bondage to a certain uh, worldview or system of thought of the way the world is and the way what mankind is and how he is supposed to act and behave and the ultimate reality and meaning of life. 
Paul says that, in a sense, the, world, the, the word of God is able to tear down those strongholds. And it, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is the sword of the Spirit. And we are to tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are to think upon Christ and think after Him and think um, with our thoughts, our hearts, our minds focused on Him. Now that's uh, A disciple is to think in a mature way, in a discerning way. And third, a disciple is to think in a humble way. As he goes on, he says, uh, as many as are perfect think this way, and if anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. We're to think in a humble way, understanding that we don't have exhaustive knowledge. We don't know everything. We're not going to learn everything. Uh, God is the only one who is omniscient, who has, knows all things. If there's, as I, I try to contemplate in my own prayers, if there's a piece of data or a piece of information, God knows it. He knows it all. He knows every second, every molecule, everything that there is because he's created it all. He's the only one that has exhaustive knowledge, and we don't have exhaustive knowledge. Um, even our, our knowledge is, is far limited. Our capacity to learn things is limited. Um, our, our ability to remember things is limited. And, as the Word of God says, our, our minds are, in a sense, corrupted by the effects of the fall, by sin. And so we are to think in a humble way, understanding that our thinking... Um, can and most likely is wrong in many ways. Even as Paul says, we are to be renewing our minds. He speaks to the, the uh, Romans about that. This is why uh, uh, David, in, in one of, probably the, one of the greatest psalms, which exalt just all the attributes of God, Psalm 139, and he speaks of just the nature of God in his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, um, his character, and at the end of the psalm, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And saying after he, he expounds upon the greatness of God and his attributes and his character, he, he's in a sense saying, God, I, I'm, I'm corrupt in my knowledge and my thinking and my heart is astray and I can't even trust my own heart or my own thinking so try me search me know me reveal to me those ways in which I think uh, differently or wrongly as Paul says here in Philippians three fifteen, he understands his own limitations and his sinfulness this is what Paul gets at as he writes to the Romans in this this uh, just this what many have considered Paul's magnum opus, his, the, the, his great work of life as he expounds upon the gospel in the letter to the Romans. And he, he does that from, from chapter 1 to 11. Then in chapter 12, he shifts to application and the great therefore in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, I exhort you, I exhort you O brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
In other words, because of the great work of mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, which he has done to save you, to redeem you, to call you to faith, because of that, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as your spiritual service of worship, and do that first and foremost in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what is the will of God, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. The sanctification or holiness, it begins with the mind, with our thoughts, works its way down to our heart and uh, engages the will, which, which works itself out in our behaviors, uh, or as some have said, head, heart, hands. Paul even says in Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was handed down to you from the head to the heart to the hands. And so the, it's vital that in Christian discipleship that we think the right way, that we think in a mature way, in a discerning way, and in a humble way. Second question Paul answers concerning the nature of Christian discipleship here in this passage is how should a disciple live? He goes on speaking about our thinking and then he says in verse 16 of Philippians 3, However, let us keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have attained. And it's interesting, uh, verse 16, and I know there's different translations here, um, but it's interesting, almost... Every English translation is somewhat different in how they word that. And there's only, uh, I believe, uh, six words in the Greek. And so when you translate it into English, some other words have to be supplied to, to smooth it out. Um, however, I, I think most English translations, though they may differ, I think they get it right in the, the gist of it, the meaning of it that we are to, as Paul says, live according to that thinking, to keep walking in step to the same standard which we have attained, the same level of thinking or standard of thinking or uh, of thinking um, on Christ or as he is our, our greatest uh, joy and hope and goal and prize that we are being conformed into his image. And so as Paul gets to verse 16, he answers this question, how should a disciple live? Well, first, a, a disciple should live in submission. In submission, as he says, uh, keep walking in step with the same standard. This, the, the, these uh, terms which he uses um, kind of hint at um, a military formation. Walking in step um, with one another and according to the, the leader who is, is leading you. In submission, in submission to God as our creator, as our redeemer, as our king, in submission to the Holy Spirit according to his word and according to his leading and his conviction, conviction as he convicts our consciences, our consciences and, and exposes our sin and our wrong thinking. But third, we are to live in submission to God-appointed authorities. God appointed authorities, first and foremost, the word of God. That is our ultimate authority. That's the only way we can be sure of anything. And then any other authority that God has delegated in this world that is, in a sense, following the word of God, 
beginning with in the church, uh, pastors, teachers, uh, elders, whatever uh, terminology you use for that office, um, as long as they are um, are uh, being uh, faithful to the Word of God, a, a, a pastor's authority and, and any person's authority goes only as far as the Word of God says. The, the Word of God sets the limits on each and every authority. The same is true for husbands and fathers and, and even for um, governing authorities. When a governing authority or government uh, steps outside of the bounds of God's rule for kings and, and leaders, then they, in a sense, start to become an illegitimate authority. And uh, when they contradict the word of God, then we don't need to listen to them. But as far as they follow the word of God, as far as every earthly authority follows and is in line with the word of God, we are to submit to them and to follow them. But everything begins with the word of God. That's how a disciple is to live and walk in step with the same standard to which we have attained, beginning with Jesus Christ as our model. Second, a disciple should live in persevering progression. I, I, I struggle with how to put that, that second point because he, he says, uh, keep walking in step. And so there's this sense of perseverance, but there's also a sense of progression in the Christian life. And we have uh, in, in, in doctrine and in Christian living, there's this doctrine, the perseverance of the saints that is founded upon a couple different passages, uh, namely uh, first, uh, or Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that, that saints, if you've truly been born again, you will progress and you will persevere in the faith. You will not fall away. Once saved, always saved, because it's according to Christ's work, and you will also progress in holiness. And if at any time a believer falls into sin, it, it shouldn't be long before discipline comes to bring him back. Discipline by the hand of God to bring him back in line to that same standard. We are to live in persevering progression. Keep walking in step. Keep progressing. Persevering. This is why Paul says he presses on toward the goal. He, and he says that a couple times, that he's pressing on, he's striving forward, he's straining forward, reaching forward, he's persevering, he's progressing. Oftentimes we can um, look at our lives and, and you know, if you're, if you're concerned about, you know, your holiness or your faithfulness, you, you nonetheless dwell upon yourself or you probably should. And sometimes we do that too much. And we can easily beat ourselves up. And uh, our sanctification, our growth, shouldn't be uh, measured in terms of days and weeks, but in terms of months and years. As we step back and we look at, you know, a few months ago or six months ago or a year ago, we should definitely see progression. We should see growth. Yes, we stumble and fail at times, but we should be progressing. We should be persevering. That's how a disciple should live, striving for Christ's likeness. Third, a disciple should live according to Christ, according to um, his person, um, according to his commands, 
holy and perfect, though we will not be perfect in this life, our hope is that we will be conformed to his image. And, and part of doing that is thinking uh, along his his thoughts and, and along the spirit, according to the spirit in the word of God. We are to seek the things above where Christ is, as Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 to 3. We are to be fixing our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, which the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. We are to also be purifying ourselves as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 to 3. A disciple should live in submission to God and God-appointed authorities and the Spirit and the, the Word of God and, and persevering progression and according to Christ. I like what one commentator writes um, just concerning um, this transitional uh, uh, conjunction, this word, however, in verse 16, or as some translations would say, only translated, only both are good translations. And he says this, only signals the main point of this discussion. The Philippians should not become fixated with those who disagree, but should have a singular focus on holding true to what we have attained. The spiritual maturity of verse 15. This spiritual maturity is a single-minded focus on Christ that Paul has modeled in verses 4 to 11. And then he says verse 17 adds two imperatives to sum up the call of verses 15 to 17. The Philippians must first join in imitating Paul and must second keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This verse is a wonderfully compact summary of Philippians. As throughout this letter, Paul has offered examples the Philippians could keep their eyes on. Paul uses his co-workers in 2, in verses 19 to 30, and himself in, in chapter 1, and then here in, in verses 4 to 11 of chapter 3 as examples, and then Christ as a preeminent example for us in chapter 2 in verses 5 to 11. That we are to strive, we are to think according to Christ, uh, and we are to live according to that standard, and we are to emulate Him and follow Him and follow those who follow Him. Which brings us to the third question Paul answers concerning the nature of Christian discipleship, and that is this, who should a disciple emulate? As we are prone to look for examples in our lives, as I said at the beginning, you know, whether it's in our job or in our household or our day-to-day life or, or even people we like and we emulate, uh, sometimes we even do it the way we dress, you know, um, for some of us that aren't very stylish and, and I'm one of those people and um, I was very thankful to be in the military where I didn't have to think about what I was going to wear. I just wore the same thing day and day. It was very liberating. I just, you know, but then when you have to think, and then naturally, you know, sometimes we just wear what similar styles to other people wear. We, we naturally follow examples of people. Um, and sometimes in our, our, um, our words, how we relate in our behaviors, and so this raises a question, who, who should a disciple emulate? And, and so as Paul says here in, in verse 17, as he gets to his third question, he says, brothers, join in following my example and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And, and not saying completely um, 
with every word and every thought and every action be exactly like me, but follow my example of thinking on Christ and, and pursuing the goal of Christ's likeness and the prize of Christ's likeness and walking according to the standard that he has given us in his word and in his life. Um, follow that example. Follow me as I follow Christ, which he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. So follow Jesus Christ and his apostles. Jesus Christ as much as and whenever possible. He, he's our model. He's our example. But we know that you know, Christ, he lived a perfect life. And so there's ways in which we, we cannot follow him. And particularly and, and most evidently in his miraculous works and, and even in his, uh, his perfect wisdom... But nonetheless, he is the model. But it, it, it's a little bit easier to have someone uh, a little bit more um, earthly or someone that's uh, uh, somewhat flawed as we are. And so Paul puts forth himself as he's striving to follow after Christ. He's striving to follow Christ and his thoughts and his actions and his behaviors. And he says, hey, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Um, or as uh, some have said, some preachers have said in terms of imitating or, or teaching, uh, eat, the meat, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Saying, uh, follow me as I follow Christ, but where I don't follow Christ, yeah, don't pay attention to that. <laughs> and there's similar things he says uh, to Philippians, at the end of Philippians, in, in this, this passage, which is... Um, we, we go to concerning our thoughts and renewing our minds as Philippians verse uh, uh, 4 verses 8 and 9 as he gives them, uh, in a sense, final instructions to, uh, to their Christian living. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, consider these things or think on these things. And that whole list of things he gives them to think upon, you, you, could, um, you could consider um, put those in Christ. Uh, however, Christ is right. However, he is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, dignified. In, in, in any way, think on those things. Think on those also right things in the church and in, in, uh, in other believers, those things that are worthy of praise. And then in verse 9 of, ch of chapter 4, he says this, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, so don't just learn it and receive it, but put it into practice. Apply it to your lives. Uh, conform your lives to that standard of thinking, to Christ's likeness, and the God of peace will be with you because you are striving for holiness to be like Christ. We are to emulate Jesus Christ and his apostles, Jesus Christ as much as possible, and the apostles as much as they faithfully Follow Christ. As Paul even um, says to Timothy, his protege, First um, Timothy 4, he says in verse 9, It is a trustworthy in saying and deserving of full acceptance, 
For, is, for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Command and teach these things. And then he goes on and he says to Timothy, his advice to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but show yourself as a model to those who believe in word, conduct, love, faith, and purity. He's saying, Timothy, as, as a pastor of, of Ephesus, of the church at Ephesus, uh, teach and preach these things concerning Christ, concerning the living God, concerning our Savior, the Savior of all peoples, and, and then uh, conduct your life in a manner fitting with that teaching. Uh, model yourself. Show yourself an example to those who believe in your words, in your conduct, in your love towards one another, in your faith, in your purity. It's interesting that, that, that verse, uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, that's the, that's the youth group verse. <laughs> you see on, on t-shirts. And, and because of that, sometimes we, we think uh, wrongly of you know, Timothy as like a 12-year-old. But <laughs> the truth of the matter is Timothy was probably in his mid to late 30s. <laughs> Um, as a pastor, and, and Paul saying, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Um, he is to be an example of the man of God. And so we follow those examples that we find in Scripture of Paul, of Timothy, of other uh, faithful examples in Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a, a primary passage we go to, the heroes of faith. And even as we go to that passage and we look at other examples throughout Scripture, um, the, the, the Word of God is, is honest. It, it's raw in times of, of not only uh, showing those things that we are to emulate, but all those characters' flaws, that they are flawed as we are. As, even as we read Hebrews 11 and, and we see certain names like Samson and uh, Jephthah, and, and nonetheless, what is commended is they had faith. They had faith. And, and as flawed as they were, they, they tried to live out their faith. And they were commended for their faith. And, and that's, that's who we are to try to emulate in our faith. That we are to be pressing on to grow in our faith. Jesus Christ being our primary example, but then those in Scripture. And then uh, uh, second, the faithful believers in the church. A uh, disciple should emulate faithful believers in the church, uh, uh, probably beginning with those examples throughout church history. We can look at scripture and we can see those examples, but then we're, we're given other examples throughout church history of, of people that have um, suffered or um, been shown themselves faithful. As we in our Sunday school have been going through um, uh, church history, and we see some of these giants in the faith, uh, people like uh, C.T. Studd or um, you know. People like uh, Charles Spurgeon or George Mueller or, or Amy Carmichael or um, just so many others, Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, that have uh, lived for Christ. And we can follow their, their examples, not perfectly, and, and sometimes we're uh, at, a, uh, at a station in life where we, we definitely could not be like them. But nonetheless, there's examples that we can emulate in their lives. Remember... Um, one uh, seminary uh, uh, president was uh, talking to, uh, 
he was trying to get a, a, a well-known preacher to come and, and to speak to the students. And um, he's speaking about the student body. And he said, you know, speaking about in seminary, seminary students, Bible college students. And, and so there are young men, mostly young men, but there's some young ladies in there as well. And, and he's saying about uh, these young people, he says to this guest speaker, he says, they need heroes. They need heroes. They, they have all the wrong heroes. They need the right ones. And so he's, he's kind of compelling this guest pre- preacher to speak to them about the heroes of church history. People of good character that, that we need uh, to, we should look up to and we should emulate. And oftentimes uh, the church in America and in the Western world, we're just um, illiterate in terms of our own history and tradition. We, we, we don't know it. And because of that, we're, we're subject to history repeating itself and heresies and errors being repackaged and resold to us. But we need heroes. We need to, heroes to emulate people in church history, but also people today, the, the heroes in the church today. And we see some of those, uh, you know, either missionaries or preachers. But more than that, um, as most believers will not be a missionary or a preacher or um, do something quote-unquote great, the great things we can do is be holy. That's the greatest thing we can do is to be Christ-like in, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. The, the, the greatest believers are the holiest believers, uh, despite uh, what they do um, externally or, or what um, uh, the world can see or, or even the church at large can see. Heroes in the church today are, are examples of faithfulness in life and doctrine. Those, uh, those faithful believers um, also that you know personally. And you see and, and you can look around and you can see, you know, I can't be exactly like that person, but I see how they encourage others. I see how they pray. I see how they study scripture. I see how they serve. And, and I can start to emulate that might not emulate everything they do as, as all of us are flawed, but there's certain things that we can emulate in one another, and we are called to do that to, as Paul calls the Philippians, to join in following his example and look for those who walk according to the same pattern you have in us. As he says in us, he's speaking about the other apostles and disciples that are with him. I'd like you to turn with me to First Thessalonians. And um, this... This letter to the Thessalonian church um, is, for the most part, what, what people, um, other pastors, theologians would say, and commentators, that Paul didn't have much negative to say about the Thessalonian church. And some might even say that it was one of his favorite churches. Uh, some even say that about the Philippian church. But nonetheless, there's a lot of things that he is commending the Thessalonians for. And he begins right off the bat in First Thess- Thessalonians 1 as he says this to them. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before God, our God and Father, knowing, brothers, beloved by God, your election. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance, 
Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of entrance we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This, this is basically a, a, a scriptural illustration of what Paul is getting at here in Philippians three fifteen to 17. This is an illustration uh, of how this is lived out as the Thessalonians turned to God from the idols to serve him and to wait for his son from heaven, the one whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us or delivers us from the wrath to come. And, and as he commends them, he, he said, saying, you became imitators of us and the Lord, and so much so that you became a model to other believers in the region. And, and, and then so that they, they, uh, your reputation spreads beyond you. And, and I, we don't even have to ask about you because other, people's are other people, other churches are telling us about you. And this, is, this is an illustration of what Paul is getting at here. Uh, uh, to think according to Christ, to follow after Christ, to follow the example of those who do. And then to model that to other people so that it spreads even further. This is Christian discipleship. This is a biblical monkey see, monkey do. You follow the person who is following Christ and ultimately you follow Christ. This is discipleship 101. Being Christ-like, striving after him because he saved you, because he redeemed you, because you were born again and are being conformed into his image if you are in Christ. And one of the key indicators that you are born again and yet you are in Christ is you strive to be like him. Not perfectly, um, and, uh, but, uh, and maybe not consistently, but progressively. And so it may, we might not see it over the course of days and weeks, but over months and years, we should see a progression. We should see fruit. We should see a growing in Christ-likeness. And the way we grow in Christ-likeness is by fixing our eyes upon him, striving after him, and following those who follow that same example, that example which is laid out for us in Scripture. You know, this concept of sanctification and, and holiness, um, you know, it, it has uh, different, uh, there's different opinions in the world about how it, it works itself out. Some people focus, uh, or some believers have focused too much on the, the works aspect of it, and we are to do some works. Others have focused too much on the, just the, the contemplation aspect of it and the let go and let God and, and that he'll eventually get us there. But it's a, a both and in a sense that, that Paul, as he tells the Philippians in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But it begins with dwelling upon him, seeking after him, worshiping him, understanding him. Uh, It's what you are looking at, what's your focus, who you are looking at, what you are setting your eyes upon for where your uh, treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Paul is is getting at in uh, 2 Corinthians 3. And this right here, this, this is a key verse for our sanctification. Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And this is just on the tail end of him speaking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how as when someone turns to the Lord, there is, in a sense, a veil taken away from their eyes concerning the world and what it really is. And so now they see with new eyes and having seen with new eyes yourself and the world and the reality, then you are to dwell upon Christ who's delivered you from your sin and from the sinfulness of this world and to seek to conform yourself to him, and as you dwell upon him, you will be transformed into his image. And so the question for all of us here is, do we dwell upon him? Do we treasure him? Do we strive to be like him? Do we want to emulate him? Do we worship him? And if you don't, there's good reason to examine whether or not you are in the faith. If you do, be encouraged that you will be like him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words and just the the basics of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner, to follow after Jesus Christ who delivered us from the wrath to come. A reminder that there is a judgment. It's been appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. And there is judgment not just for unbelievers who refuse your gospel, but for believers as well, concerning our rewards and how we lived. We are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called to live after Christ, who is our model, who is our Savior, who is our King. So help us to do that. Help us to focus on Him, to dwell on Him, and at the end of the day, to give Him all the glory. It's in His name we pray. Amen.